I think it's um, fair to say that verse 17 is probably every preacher's favourite verse, uh, saying that you should honour your preachers. Uh, It's always a wonderful thing to read. Uh, But as we get into God's word, let's uh, pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways in which you speak through your word. And we pray that you would do so now in fresh and exciting ways. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as you've probably gathered by now, Paul uh, was incredibly passionate about leadership. Uh, It was something that was very high up on his agenda when writing to Timothy, uh, the leader that he'd entrusted the church of Ephesus uh, to. And he was writing to him not only to say about the kind of leader that he expected Timothy to be, but also the kind of leaders that Timothy should be on the lookout for as he was looking around his church for people to lead what was at the time a, a fastly growing church. Uh, and needed more leaders than just uh, Timothy alone. And so Paul was saying, these are the kind of leaders you should be looking out for. And he also was saying, this is how people should treat those leaders as well, because leadership was a hugely important thing for Paul. It's interesting, at the start of this uh, series, or when I chose this series, I didn't expect, although leadership is a key theme in Timothy, I didn't expect leadership to be the key theme that we would be looking at, because there are other themes throughout the letter as well. But it seems that God's agenda is slightly different to mine, and I'd much rather go with his than mine, uh, because it's more important. Uh, So we are continuing on uh, looking at leadership and Paul's passion for leadership. Ultimately, Paul's passion was that his leaders would lead people to Christ. That's what he wanted more than anything else. Leaders who would lead others to Christ and lead people closer to Christ if they already knew him. And we've learned over the past few weeks looking at this that leadership can actually be uh, an incredibly emotive issue for many, many people. Uh, We know that because when you're talking about leaders and you're talking about the people that they lead, you're talking about people. And people do cause emotions within us when we think about some people. So we may look at something like chapter 2, which we looked at a few weeks ago, and look at the issue of, for example, women in leadership. And whilst on the one hand we can say, well, Paul seems to be very clear about what he's saying about this issue, on the other hand, we can probably all relate to some women we know in leadership, who have been rejected from leadership, who exercise leadership brilliantly. It's a much more emotive and a less clear-cut issue. And it's the same with other issues in in Timothy as well. Uh, What about um, publicly talking about people's sins in front of everybody? That's an interesting cultural thing, isn't it, that we don't necessarily consider or do today. But leadership is an emotive thing because we're talking about people. We're talking about people's lives and God's calling on their lives to lead his people. And as Chris really brilliantly pointed out a couple of weeks ago, that we will all have different stances on on something like 1 Timothy 2 or even some of the issues in later chapters of Timothy on leadership as well. And whatever stance we uh, choose to take, we are required to do a little bit of work and to understand why it is we take the stance that we do. But the wonderful thing about the Bible, I think it's a wonderful thing, some people don't. The wonderful thing about the Bible is really it's only as good as his interpreter and how we read it. And everybody will interpret the word of God differently because it's a living word, a breathing word that God speaks through to his people. 
And so when we come to passages that we don't fully understand, that don't seem quite so black and white, that are harder to grasp, I think the most important thing we should have is a teachable spirit. To be prepared to discover whichever view we take, we could be right, we could be wrong. And many times we just don't know. We just don't know whether we've got it right or wrong. Chris and I were talking the other day about church history, because that's the kind of thing that you know you talk about when you have a meeting with your curate. Uh, we're actually talking about books we read and reading about actually um, biographies from people through church history. And we were saying in church history, one of the things we tend to do in the church is we look at first century church and we look at 21st century church and we can forget the thousands of years that have been between those two things. And the journey that the church has been on about how society has changed, about how the environment around us has changed, about how views and opinions have changed and morphed and developed over time. And it's been a real wrestle for many people and particularly in the issue of leadership. Over the years, many different decisions have had to be made about who should lead our churches, who should be our bishops, who shouldn't be our bishops, how should they be appointed. Uh, and that's the same in every denomination, not just the Church of England, but in thousands of years of history, it's been discussed and it's been wrestled with and it's been debated and it's been listened to and decisions have been made, some right, some wrong, some very obviously right, some very obviously wrong. But here's the key thing that I've discovered. Is that in all of that, God has chosen to work with the messy, broken people. Because messy, broken people is all he has to choose from. And the amazing thing is that whether we've got the decisions right or whether we've got the decisions wrong over time on some of our opinions on leadership, the only one who can truly judge whether we've got it right or wrong hasn't given up on the church yet. The church is still God's plan A to save the world. And I think that's amazing. Regardless of how we've interpreted, misinterpreted things over the years, we are still his plan A to save the world. Through his church, through the bride of Christ, that everyone may come to know him and through him know the Father. So the question then when we look at Timothy is what are the absolute non-negotiables about leadership? What are the things that are completely non-negotiable? What is it that a leader needs to do to be worthy of double honour, as it describes in here? I love the sound of double honour. In my opinion, double honour is receiving both honour from people and honour from God. That's what I think double honour is. So what does it mean to be a leader who receives double honour? Well, I think, first of all, every Christian leader should love Jesus. And I know it seems really obvious. But I have met Christian leaders who don't. But every Christian leader should love Jesus. If they don't love Jesus, why are they leading? And when we talk about leadership here, which we'll unpack in a little bit, we're talking about uh, not just those who ordained, but people in any uh, position of leadership are called to love Jesus. Secondly, they're called to be a servant leader. Because that is what has been modelled to us through Jesus. 
Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. All our leaders should be servant-hearted in their leadership. Thirdly, I think they're called to love the people that they lead. At times that's easy, at times that's hard. But it is a high call on our lives because it's the greatest commandment. That we love God and love our neighbour as ourselves. And our leaders, above all, should be modelling that to their people. To love God and to love their people. Fourthly, Paul's greatest desire, that every leader should seek to lead people closer to Jesus. If they don't know Jesus, then they should be seeking to lead them to Jesus. If they do know Jesus, they should be seeking to lead them closer in their walk. And I think whoever the leaders are, whatever their gender, whatever their background, whatever their life choices along the way, these are the non-negotiables. To love Jesus, to seek to serve, to love the people they lead, and to lead those people closer to Jesus. In all the other issues around that, there will always be agreements and disagreements. In the issues that get tagged on to that. And the key is to have a teachable spirit. And the example I like to give, I haven't asked his permission, so I hope it's okay, is Bishop Martin. Bishop Martin, uh, the Bishop of Chichester, uh, with his theological conviction, will not ordain women. That's the decision he's made for himself. But he will honour women who lead. He will support them in their leadership. He will pray for them. He will appoint them. He will give them jobs in this diocese. And he will appoint people who will ordain them. Because he's prepared to have a teachable spirit. Because he loves Jesus. He has a servant heart. He wants to love the people that he serves. And he wants to lead them closer to Jesus. He's a good example, I think, of what this looks like. But there are probably some of you sitting here this morning thinking, well, I'm not a leader. Why is Timothy and any of this relevant to me? Why is all this stuff about double honour and, and being a good leader and all of these things any relevance to me? I don't lead uh, anything in church. I don't lead worship. I don't lead a house group. I don't lead a prayer group. I don't lead anything. So why is this relevant to me? Well, actually, uh, I think it's relevant to everybody, what we read in Timothy. And the stuff we read about leadership. And the reason is because I think everybody is a leader on some level. Those of you in the room who may say you're not a leader but are parents, you are leaders of your family. Those of you who may say you're not a Christian leader but you have a job where you are a manager, you are a Christian leader because you're a leader who is a Christian. And the call on you is still the same as it is for anybody else. Some of you may be saying, well, I don't even fall into either of those categories. I don't have children. I don't have a job. I don't work. I don't manage anybody. Well, what is self-control if it's not self-leadership? The leading of the self. For sure, Jesus is our leader. (laughs) He is our Lord and our Saviour and he leads us. And that's the key. He is in the driving seat of our lives and we insist that he stays there. But there is an element in which we are called to lead ourselves. It's called self-control for a reason. God help me to be more controlled. 
And he will point you to Galatians where it says self-control. He will help you by his grace. So the question then becomes, what are you doing to lead yourself closer to Jesus? What are you doing in your walk to lead yourself closer to Jesus? In this year of the Bible, the question is, how much are you reading God's word? How much are you praying and worshipping? How much are you seeking to be in the community that can support you and help you to draw closer to Jesus? If you don't know Jesus at all, what are you doing about it to get to know the best person you will ever get to know? What are we doing to honour other Christians around us, other people around us, so that we can point them to Jesus by how we live? Jesus, the only one who can truly judge the church, still wants to use us to change the world. I find that mind-blowing, personally, and an absolute privilege to be considered involved in that. And so my call as a leader, my desire as a leader, that I will love Jesus, that I will seek to be servant-hearted, that I will love all of you and all the people God calls me to lead, and that I will seek to lead you and others closer to Jesus. And I ask you to pray for me as I do that, because here's the key thing. If this is the call of leadership, that's a high call. And it requires the prayers of all God's people for our leaders. If you have home group leaders, pray for them. Pray for anybody in any kind of leadership and pray for one another in your own leadership as well. Hold each other to account. Hold me to account. Because the ultimate desire, as was Paul's ultimate desire in Timothy, is that no leader becomes a hindrance to the gospel and that every leader seeks to draw their people and themselves closer to Jesus every day. Amen. Just before we pray, let's have a moment's stillness to give our hearts a chance to respond to what God may have been saying. Jesus, we thank you that your plan is still to save the world through your church and we consider it a privilege and an honour that that be the case. But God, we also know that with that comes a high call of leadership. And we pray by your spirit, would you give us a desire to love you more? Would you create in us an intentionality to get to know you better? Would you help us to be self-controlled in doing that? And may we take our responsibility in that. May we love those you call us to serve. May we serve those you call us to love. And may we seek to lead many closer to you. I just sense that maybe for one or two people here, he just wants to... um, 
almost reinstate some boldness that you once had for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus that you've kind of lost over time and he wants to reinstate that boldness for you this morning to make you bold in the, in the truth of the good news of Jesus again. To remind you that it's just as true today as it ever was that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And all of this, everything we've just discussed, comes from that place of knowing his love for us. It all must stream from there. Knowing that he first loved us and chose us. And so may we love him more and love others more.